Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you. 
Hello, you're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs with me, Giles Bidder, the podcast where we get nosy and speak to some of our favourite artists, musicians or bands about what they've got up to between tours in order to survive, whatever that might mean in their case. I'm so excited to welcome Raymond McGinley, guitarist of legendary Glasgow band Teenage Fan Club, to the show. Sorry, Bells Hill. Of course, you're probably listening to this thinking he probably hasn't had to work many jobs between tours apart from one near miss of almost digging a tunnel to France so I'll leave you to it we chat a lot about their new record Endless Arcade you know I'm not shy about using this show to speak to bands that I love and ask them about things that things that I find fascinating Teenage Fan Club's new record Endless Arcade is coming out on the 30th of April this is I'm more inclined behind this it's sounding amazing I'm really looking forward to the record and looking forward to to seeing them play eventually East London's Signature Brew are the official beer of the podcast. They've made beers with Mastodon, Idols, Slaves, Sports Team and a whole bunch of other bands. If you live in the UK, you can get beers from their website delivered directly to your door. Signaturebrew.co.uk for that. And with the voucher code 101podcast, all capital letters, you can get 10% off your order. Here's Raymond McGinley of Teenage Fan Club. Go well. Cheers! I mean, I, I, you know, I was lucky as a band. We were lucky to buy guitars in the 80s. And I bought two guitars in the middle of the 80s when I was, one when I was a, when I was a student, when I, when I had more sense later on, when I thought, okay, uh, I shouldn't have bought that Yamaha. I want to buy a real guitar. Buy a real mm. guitar, I was thinking like a vintage 60s guitar. So I bought a Fender Jaguar in 1963. Again, it's kind of boring nerdy stuff or whatever but out of an advert in sounds a melody maker a place called guitar player in rochdale and it was 290 pounds or something i bought it mail order and this thing turned up and i bought this guitar i sold the crap yamaha one i'd had uh, and i bought a proper guitar and i bought that because i had a student grant and i could buy a guitar and it was 200 odd quid and i still use that guitar and then really yeah yeah all the time uh and then the other guitar that we use all the time as a band, and I still use, after I left university, I was on the, the dole because uh, I'd made a conscious decision. And this is how long ago it was I, I left university. They were building the Channel Tunnel at the time. <laughs> and I got offered a job. I'd studied engineering at University of Glasgow. I got a degree. And I got an, a job offer working on the Channel Tunnel. Wow. Uh, and I thought, uh, you know what? I kind of want to be in a band. If I get a job, I'm never going to do this band thing. So I'm just going to go on the dole, you know, because otherwise I'll never, I'll never do it. What year was that? That was, that was 1985. And was that during uh, the, the boy hairdressers? Well, this is pre the boy hairdressers. So 1985, I had this idea that I wanted to be in a band, but I wasn't. I was in a, a band with a couple of other mates, but, you know, um, time a guy called uh, Ross Sinclair, who's now a professor of art at Glasgow uh, School of Art, and my other friend, Neil Mingus. Uh, I kind of wanted to do some, something else, and that we weren't really doing much for that band. I wanted to do something else. So 85, 86, there was a lot of stuff happening in Glasgow. There was a club called Splash One, run by various people, including some people from Primal Scream, like Bobby Gillespie and 
uh, you know, met a lot of people around about that time, including people like Norman Blake, that's I'm now in a band with, and lots of other people. Um, and you know, they brought lots of bands to Glasgow. Let's saw Sonic Youth for the first time, and Primal Screen played there, and Brilliant. you know, Wire played there, and the Mary Chain and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of wanting to be in a band and, and join a band and do that kind of stuff. So I, I bought, I knew the, I knew the guys in Primal Scream at that time. The band then was kind of different than the band is now. This was been around a while, and I had this Fender. I'd bought like a Fender Twin amp, but I'd seen this other guitar for sale, an sixties Epiphone Casino. Yeah, and the guys in Primal Scream had borrowed my amp to go on tour, and they said, "Oh, we'll buy that amp off you. We'll give you three hundred quid for it." You know, so I thought, "Oh, that's great!" So I'd kind of had the three hundred pounds in my in my already. I kind of owned the three hundred pounds. I was on the door at the time. I was in a flat and I shared a flat with two other people and the rent for the flat, the monthly rent for the flat was £300 and I had their rent that I was going to use to pay the other two people in the flat that I was going to pay the rent with and I also had my £100 share which I got as housing benefit at the time because I was on the dole so I got my, they just sent me the money and I cashed it so I had this £300 and I saw a guitar in the paper Epiphone Casino, 1960s. And I thought, well, Primal Screamer buying an amp. I'll go and have a look at this Epiphone. And I went to look at this guitar near where the flat was. The guy opened the case and I thought, oh, it was like that moment when the, there was some scene in uh, Pulp Fiction where they kind of opened a briefcase and there's a kind of glow or something, you know, and <laughs> you kind of not quite sure what. It was a bit like that, you know, and I thought... Yeah. Yeah, that looks great, and I'm trying to not look impressed. So anyway, I buy this guitar with £300 <laughs> because I'm going to get the £300 off a of primal screen for buying my amp. But then I, I took the guitar back, and then my mate Stuart, uh, Stuart May, who was in primal screen at the time, said, oh, we're not going to buy that amp anymore. We've got something else. <laughs> you know. Oh, no. So yeah. I was kind of in a hole, but I can't remember what I did, but I've got a memory. I kind of had a bit of a diet at that point, which is probably eating like pasta with like brown sauce or something, you know. Yeah. And just yeah. surviving what was in the cupboard for for a month or something. But I'm glad that happened because those two guitars, the Epiphone Casino and the Fender uh, Jaguar, they became me and Norman's guitars and the boy hairdressers. Norman used right. the casino and I used Fender Jaguar. And we still lose, use those two guitars now and we use those guitars extensively on the new the new record we've got coming out, Endless Arcade. We're still using them. That's brilliant. I mean, they're so synonymous to your, to your sound, those guitars. Well, that's, I mean, you know, I still, I mean, people kind of say, people say to me, is that the same guitar you had in the boy hairdressers? I was like, yeah, but those are the two same guitars we had in the boy hairdressers, you know? <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. And one was bought when I was a student, and the other one was bought when I was in the dole, you know, when I kind of had no money uh, and kind of got these things. And we bought all these other things afterwards, uh, you know, the pre internet days when bargains still existed. And uh, <laughs> But we still use these things that we had back then. And it feels great to be somehow connected. And I can see a picture because I saw somebody showed me a picture recently of. The boy hairdressers, a band, me and Norman and Francis, our drummer, were in before Teenage Fan Club. 
and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, yeah, look, it's the same guitars. <laughs> Stop using. That's great. You know, uh, and I just, I just love, I just love that kind of continuity of using the same instruments and use them all the way through, and all sorts of different sounding records as well. Totally, totally. And I'm glad you brought up Endless Arcade. Of course, that's why I'm able to chat to you today. You know, it's coming out on the 30th of April. Yeah. And the the, the two singles that have have come out, you know, the videos that have come out with them, especially I'm more inclined, which is you know footage from recording that in Hamburg. You know, it struck me how how fun it looked for you you know it yeah. sort of had this it's got this real effortless charm um you know did it feel like that yeah but i mean also it felt great being in the, in the studio i mean it's kind of all being in the studio always feels like a treat uh and even though it's been a long time i haven't been in the studio it still feels exciting to be making new stuff for the first time but i suppose also looking at the video of us you know and the video from more inclined has got us recording the song in the studio at the time it it looks extra interesting now because it's like yeah remember that you know people hanging over each other you know listening to because that was just before the lockdown thing happened um and it just looks it has a bit of extra resonance about it you know um but it's that there is uh it's good as well to have done a video thing because that's just a, a record of us doing, making, making, doing that in the, you know, actually doing it for real, you know, because it seems like better than any conceptual video or whatever, you know. You end up yeah. doing these things and you're doing it and you think, well, what are we doing here? This seems a bit silly, you know. TH Fan Club has always struck me as the kind of band that would, you know, much rather make records than music videos. Uh, uh, well, yeah, by times a million or whatever, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if we can just do make the music, because we're kind of thinking we did that, uh, we're thinking, do we ever need to make a music video again? Maybe we just get because we know a friend of ours and you know photographer Donald Milne who filmed that, and we've done stuff with him for years, and he's great. And we think, well, let's just get Donald in the studio. Anything else would do it, and we'll just get him to film it. Then we won't have to think about making a mm-hmm. making a music video again. We'll just do it. You know, I think people like to see people actually doing things for real than, you know, some kind of conceptual or a band pretending to be a band, which is a lot of music videos are people acting and playing themselves in in a role and somehow it just looks a bit stiff. Yeah, yeah, totally. At what point do you decide decide that you're going to, you know, start booking in studio time? You know, after how many songs have you and Norman written, you know, together or separately where you sort of, call each other and think you know let's let's get some studio time booked in well i think sometimes it works kind of both you know that way around and sometimes it works the other way around as well and that and this has kind of always been the case i think with the band there's something about booking the studio that's really inspiring as well you know you kind of you got some ideas but it's more you make the decision to think let's make a record and then you book the time and as soon as you booked it you see this thing on the horizon which is you're going to go there and make the record and having that the reality of having songs to make a record instead of just i don't think any of us are the kind of people that just walk around and see ourselves as songwriters or whatever as a kind of lifestyle or something you know we like to write songs because we want to make records and we want it to be something that we play on stage and it becomes a real thing and it's not just something we do every day i think we like to have a reason 
to write songs or finish a song. You've always got ideas floating about and little snippets of things that you're trying to. Certainly for me, you kind of sit, I'll sit and play the guitar and I think, what are the what are the things I've got floating around in my head? And I'm kind of really guilty of not recording any demos. I just kind of have to try and wrangle them out of my brain. But for us, I think the the point of really knowing we're going to make a record <laughs> when we book the studio, you know, because you know it's like then we, as a band we all agree: is everyone available? Can we do this thing? We're going to do this, and like whether it's like next week or in four months or whatever. You know, once it becomes a reality, then it feels really exciting because you know that you're sitting working on a song, not just as a a self-indulgent exercise apropos of nothing. You know, you're doing it because you're kind of you've got a destination for it, and it's actually something you're going to work with with other people, and it's going to become a reality. And the pressure is good as well to have to to know that you need to finish an idea and turn an idea into a song because. You know, that you might play in front of other people or that you might work on together, you know, because you can have a million ideas, unfinished ideas, but, you know, turning it into something that's going to come out to something that you might you might feel like you're going to suggest that other people in the world might pay any attention to, you know, it's a mm, different yeah. kind of thing. And I think we need the reality of knowing that we're going to actually go into the studio and do it to to take us over to actually finish the songs. Do you get inspiration from, you know, when you when you booked the studio time in Hamburg, of course there's, you know, so much Beatles stuff around that. And not only the Beatles, but John Lennon's last record, you know, it was the same mixing desks used, yeah. used on that. You know, when you when you when you booked that, did that add a kind of inspiration in the way that you could kind of envision the record sounding or feeling? Yeah, I mean I think Hamburg, the first time as a band Teenage Fan Club ever went to Hamburg was in 19, 1990 and we just put we were putting out a single which is a cover, a pretty, you know, you know, raucous, you know, <laughs> to put mildly version of the ballad of John and Yoko that we were releasing that was going to be released on and for some reason I think it was going to be what would have been John Lennon's fiftieth birthday. And we were in Hamburg at that time, just coincidentally playing our first show in Hamburg on the Reaper Band. Um, Brilliant. So I don't think anyone can really think, well, I'm sure, you know, anyone that's into music finds it hard to think of Hamburg or to be in Hamburg without thinking about the Beatles, you know, Mm. and also just lots of people, you know, you, you think, you know, what it would have been like, like Little Richard or something, playing in Hamburg or something, you know, with Jimi Hendrix playing guitar or whatever, you know, and all that, what that would have been like at that time. And there's still remnants of that atmosphere left, you know. So I think the the city does have that that uh, that kind of resonance or whatever that's still there, you know. But also yeah. we like this kind of, we like Hamburg in other kind of ways as well. You know, we, it's, it seems, you know, it's kind of just a, an, industrial or ex-industrial city northern european there's certain parallels with glasgow and you know but Mm. for whatever reason we like it there you know and it feels like a place that makes sense for us to make a record there that's funny you say about northern britain actually i didn't connect that because the docks in hamburg they're they're pretty brutal looking aren't they yeah well i mean i suppose maybe one of the differences between the docks in hamburg and the docks in glasgow is that the docks in hamburg exist a lot more than the docks yeah yeah uh, here in glasgow do um, you know, it still feels, 
you know, I mean, you know, not that what do I know, but industry in Hamburg, I don't know anything. You know, I have no idea. So don't we, you know, someone in Hamburg's listening to this and thinking, what are you talking about? Shut up, you know. I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> you know, but just as a kind of, you know, a city that has, there, there, there are some kind of similarities of, you know, between Glasgow and Hamburg, you know, not completely, but um, but we, it's a city we've always liked. We've felt comfortable there. We yeah. felt like it makes sense for us to be creative there. We like it. In the press release, you know, sort of the, the main quote is is from you um, about the title of Endless Arcade, saying, you know, you, you think of an endless arcade as an imaginary one that goes on forever, and you know, you always, you know, I took that personally as, you know, the real life. You know, you're always going to be surprised. You're going to go through some twists and turns. Is that maybe subconsciously a reflection of being in a band for so long? Yeah, I mean, I suppose everyone, uh, I suppose all we know as people that have been in a band is we see life as being in a band. You know, it's it's a kind of stupid thing to say, but, you know, I think everyone, whatever they do, has, you know, their own, uh, you know, everyone's lives have. I mean, I suppose we live we have chosen to live a life that's I wouldn't call it precarious, but the thing I like about doing what we do is there's no guarantee that it's going to last any longer than what you're doing now. And Mm. I think personally, I've always liked the idea of a lack of, you know, it's like 30 years in or whatever, you know, you can look back on it, but you can't look forward on it as a career or whatever, you know, uh, right. Yeah. You know, and I've always thought, well, we'll do this record and then see what happens after that. I've, you know, I think as a as a band, we'd never have a presumption that just because we've made a record that people are necessarily going to like it. You know, we have yeah. to satisfy ourselves first. And you know, there's all sorts of stuff in the world that people can look at or listen to or do or you know whatever instead of listening or giving any time to our music. You know, uh, there's a million distractions out there. I've got no preconception of whether people interact with what we do or not. So it could be as this life, this charmed life that we've led doing this thing, this self-indulgent thing all these years, it could come to an end at any time, you know. And I've thought that for 30 years or more than 30 years that I've been doing this thing. We all think that. Have you been quite good at staving off any, you know, anxiety or neurosis that might offer? Yeah, I mean, personally, I kind of, I like, as an individual, I, I like, not knowing what's around the corner as not uncertainty feels comfortable to me um and i don't really know why that is um but you're kind of going back to the the album title of endless arcade and think that that is a kind of you know a thing of you know a kind of a way of describing life or whatever i think it was i I was doing the vocal for the song of that and i kind of written out lyrics and we're talking about I don't even have a title for the song necessarily at that point. And I think, well, I think the song's going to be called Endless Arcade. And it was Norman that said, Endless Arcade would be a good title for the album, you know. Uh, and Norman suggested that as a title for the album. You know, there's a song called Endless Ar- Arcade on the album. and the, You know, but the two things don't necessarily need to, you know, it's not like, just the title seems to reflect this collection of songs that we had, and that was Norman's idea, mm. even though I wrote that song, but it's not like somehow you have something that seems to make some sense to you or to us, you know, uh, that's not 
a literal thing. In that moment of thinking that would be a good thing for the album, that kind of happened in like five seconds or whatever from Norman maybe doing, listening to the song and I had the lyrics and he was like, what are you going to call it? Endless Arcade? Well, yeah, yeah, I think I'll call it the song Endless Arcade. Yeah, well, that'd be a good thing for the album. And that's it, you know, that moment is done. You know? Something quite magical about, you know, I suppose that's like writing a riff, you know, you might ha- might write something in five minutes and then that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And any, any kind of moment of creativity or sometimes, sometimes you have to remind yourself that, I think, and, I, and I'm t- talking to my, I'm not, this isn't advice to other people, I'm talking to myself here. Uh, you have to remind yourself that things can be simple, mm. that you you might get caught up in thinking, oh, it's all so complicated and oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. And, you know, you can get, you know, sometimes you do need to remind yourself that to see the, try and see the simplicity and what's in front of you, whatever it is you need to do, you know. Uh, you know, whether it's making a record or making your dinner, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you, can, you know, it's it's all an enjoyable process that it can be. You know, uh, I mean, I, as I say, I've I've lived a pretty charmed life. You know, other people have lived much. You know, because the thing I've always thought is sometimes you know people in bands have a bit of a reputation for being wingers. You know, uh, and you know. <laughs> And people are like, oh, God, we need to go and do this. And, you know, I need to get up at six in the morning because we've got a flight to, you know, we've got a flight to whatever, you know, you know, we need to, you know, we need to fly to Spain at six in the morning. Oh, my God, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, you're up at six in the morning, you're in a taxi and you see like those guys standing on the slip road at the motorway waiting for a van to come and pick them up <laughs> to take them to some site working God knows where, doing God knows what. You think, those guys are there every morning. They don't know what they're doing day to day, yeah. you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, we've got nothing to complain about. It's funny that, you know, your lives are so, you never really know what's what's around the corner or, you know, what's ahead of you. Because from, from a fan's point of view, Teenage Fan Club, lots and lots and lots of people Teenage Fan Club has remained a constant in their lives. We, we can rely on the fact that you're going to release another record. It's a wonderful feeling. I mean, it's it's reassuring to, you know, and it's always reassuring to meet people and interact with people that, you know, tell you. And the frustrating thing for us a bit on, on this new record is there's a kind of cycle of process of making a record. And part of, to me, the end of that cycle is you go and play some shows and you meet people after a show and they say, oh, yeah, I got the new record. I really like it. I like this song or that song. Or, and you meet the people for whom this thing that we've done means something to them, you know. Uh, and at that point, you feel like the thing that you've been doing kind of obsessively just as a kind of battle between you and your own expectations of what you might do is kind of, finished because it's gone you've kind of seen seen it go into the world and people have taken into their life and do with use music as the way people use music to you know the way we all use music or whatever to help us with our lives or whatever you know and and the frustrating thing now is i don't know when we're going to get that moment when we go back out on tour again and you know be so it's a bit frustrating at the moment because usually we'd be thinking oh we're going to go and play those shows in a month or two you know and we don't know what's going to happen. And it's a strange, it feels kind of strange to us because we've always seen that point of when we finish the record and then the record comes out and then we go out and we tour. 
that's all part of the that's all part of the creative process. And we get to the, you know, and we move into that other thing where we're out in front of people and it happens every day and you move on from city to city and all the rest of it as part of the thing that we've always enjoyed. And uh, I suppose at the moment we're missing that, that final piece, you know, but hopefully we'll get there before too long. And it's coming out on Merge in the States at least. It's on Merge and say it's in our own label, Pima, and uh, UK and Europe and everywhere else, uh, you know, um, and Merge, I kind of, I'm a big, big Superchunk fan. And so Merge Records, as far as I understand it, was was born out of Superchunk needing a record label to put out, you know, putting out their own seven inches. And there are a lot of similarities for me between you and Superchunk, especially what you were just saying then a little bit earlier about how, you know, you don't necessarily walk around thinking that you're songwriters, but it's certainly something that you're brilliant at and give off a kind of inviting vibe about, you know, I think Superchunk has that as well. Well, we we first met Superchunk in 1990. We were in New York, uh, and we were label mates on Matador. So we first met them, hung out with them then. Uh, so we've known we've known uh, Superchunk and you know Mac and Laura merge and everything. Mm. That's more than that's 31 years ago. Wow. Um, so we've known each other a long time, and we totally respect the fact that they are. You know, they're people that did what they do out of a necessity to, you know, it starts off, you do the label not as a grand ego project, but as just something that is you need in your life to get from A to B or, or whatever, yeah, you know. Yeah. And and they're they're great people. We we love working with them. We're working with you know, we've known them I say we've known Mac and Laura for uh, you know, for thirty one years or whatever. Uh, and we've been working with them as our label North America for now 15, 16 years or so. Wow. And it's great. We've gone really well. And all the other people that work there, they're a great bunch of people. Think back to 1990 and the band formed in, in 89. Um, you said, you know, you're in a couple of bands before that. I mean, at, at what point, I mean, has there ever been a point where you've looked at like what you do and you, you, you realized, oh, this is my, this is my job now. You know, I'm never going to have to look for another job. Well, the idea of being in a band, you know, it doesn't quite. I mean, it is definitely, you know, this is what this is what I do. I've never had a job doing anything else other than being a paper boy. Uh, you know, I, I was a paper boy, then I was a student, then I was on the dole, and then I was uh, finally got to make some money, uh, surviving being in a band. So I don't know anything else. Uh, yeah. Um. You know, so this is what I do, but I don't have any expectation that it's going to continue. But it has continued for a long time. Uh, but you know, God knows what I'd do if I wasn't doing this. I have no idea. I don't know anything else. <laughs> How are you feeling about you know this sort of subject? You know, during the creation records years, did it feel like it could end at any time? I mean, what was the feeling? I've, I mean, on the all the way through being in a band. I've always thought, oh, this could be the last record we make. This could be the last, you know, if I've been in Tokyo or I've been in Sydney, Australia or wherever, I always think this could be the last time I'm here because it might not happen next time, you know? Mm. So every 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 way along the way, it's not like I'm thinking, oh, God, this is all so tiresome. Here we are again, you know, whatever. You know, I think, well, this could be the last time I do this, you know? And I've yeah. been thinking that for 30 years. This could be the last time 
you know, I can't imagine never stopping making recording music because it's easier to do now, you know, or playing music or playing the guitar, but doing it and anyone else in the world being interested in it is something I've never had any, you know, presumed that that would happen. Uh, and But it's definitely undeniably, this is, you know, this is, this is what we do for a living. Um, but I think, you know, I think, you know, we'd only want to continue doing it. And I think it's for all of us, if, if it's, you know, you don't want to do anything, to, you know, to do with the band, you know, it's it's like doing this and leading a dignified existence as well. You yeah. know, and trying to do both those things to feel like you feel proud of it, creatively, you know, um, artistically or whatever, and to be able to try and survive doing it and keep those two things going. Um, but for me, one is the other because as soon as you start to think of, I oh, maybe I'll just do that. You know. There has to be a reason for doing anything other than just money. If there isn't a reason other than that, then you shouldn't do it, I suppose. It's, or if anything feels instinctively in any little way that it feels a bit wrong or whatever, you know, uh, you know, it feels the only mistake I think you ever make doing this kind of thing is to do something against your own instincts. Uh, so I think maybe what keeps us going is we try to you know, always have a reason for doing something mm. beyond it just being what we do for a living. Do you think the songs, the kind, you know, the, the the style of songs and you know the lyrics, you know, help you know push you up in keeping a kind of, I suppose, positive mentality on that? I mean, for me, everything flows. That song's helped me get through some really hard times in my life of of uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen because you know after listening to that song, I was looking up, you know, flow theory and getting into that stuff and kind of understanding um, energy in the world. Yeah, I think, I mean, Everything Flows is a great song and we've been playing that for a long time. And I can remember back to when Norman phoned me, and this would have been 1988, 89, and said, oh, I've written this song. Uh, I think it sounds pretty good or whatever. I can't remember what he said. I, actually, Norman probably wouldn't have said, I think it sounds pretty good. He probably said, oh, yeah, I think it's okay. Listen to this. And I went round and listened, <laughs> listened to it and kind of thinking, yeah, this is this is good, you know. But again, as you're saying, it's having some, it's like some kind of positivity that isn't some kind of cliched sense of like, mm, you know, yeah. new age therapy positivity and in inverted commas or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's natural. Yeah. I think it's natural as well. And I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's more useful to your friends or people around you or people that you love or whatever to try to be a bit optimistic, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or to help the people around you in some kind of way and you know and not just be you know we, i think all of us get into things where you become a big self-indulgent downer about everything and it's hard to see your way out of it and it does take music or you know the people around you to bring you back out of that but you know it is you know i think you know and again in the band or whatever we don't talk about it's not like i've ever had a conversation about the song "Everything Flows" about the lyrics or anything ever. Really, You're like never, never once have we discussed this song. We just kind of someone does something and we just 
let it in and we accept it for what it is, but we don't talk about it you know, in so any funny. kind of overt way at all. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with Norman about the lyrics and everything flows, ever. What about lyrics on Endless Arcade? Was was there much chat about that? No, not really. I mean, again, we just kind of, uh, we just kind of, you know, sometimes the first we'll hear the lyrics is because we kind of try and have some kind of vocal thing going when we're recording the song, but not fully formed and not with all the words on it. You might have a few, you might have a bit of a chorus, mm. but we never, you know, we never sit down and talk to each other. We just kind of do that. We just kind of do it, and then everyone else reacts to it. But we don't have a a literal reflective analysis yeah. of anything yeah. ever, and we never have. Um, it's not like, hmm, yeah, that sounds interesting. What's that song about? Or what's that? Yeah, that bit, that sounds, we, we just kind of don't really do it, you know? So we'll be there, and Norman's going to do his vocal, and we're there, Norman sings the vocal, and we hear the whole thing for the first time, maybe in that moment. Unless it's been something we've rehearsed more extensively before, but there's, there's maybe a moment when you hear the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and we don't, we don't really, we don't talk about it, we don't analyse it, you just kind of accept it. You know, I've read in the past that you were sort of the band's de facto manager. Um, and there's one, a, a great Guardian article I read from a few years ago where he talked about, um, I think it was bandwagon esque, and you were speaking to a lawyer in the US and you, you were in your, your, your folks' home in, in Glasgow. And yeah, there, there's a real kind of paradox between the two worlds. Yeah, I mean, I can, you know, because again, it wasn't like you, you've got a group of people and you've always got some kind of, you know, you know, hesitate to use the word dynamic or whatever that happens between any any group of people. Mm. You know, but it's just a kind of natural thing. You know, people elect different people that'll take interest in different things and for whatever reason I was the one that might have dealt with more of the business side of things uh you know but it probably started with me there'd be me and Norman and I'd be the one that phoned the studio to book it or whatever you know and it kind of starts from there you know yeah uh you just go I'll do that you know Uh, I'll book that van or whatever you know uh you know, so it ends up with, you know, you get a slightly ridiculous situation where suddenly we go to New York for the first time in 1990 uh, and suddenly people get interested in the band and, you know, major labels start getting interested in the band and somehow these mad guys went to New York. We got an advance from Matador Records of like, you know, a very, very small advance. I can't remember what it was, $1,500. We bought it on flights to go to New York and play some shows in North America. Mm. Uh, which people wouldn't do because it's not necessarily sensible, but we weren't really interested in what was sensible. We wanted to just go out and live our lives and, you know, experience things. But because we did that, I think people thought, who are these guys that are just here apropos of nothing, you know, really? uh, You know, and people back in the UK would look, suddenly thought, who are those guys that would have gotten this press in North America? You know, the, the normal way, the line of UK bands is you wait, you do a, you know, you get a bigger deal in the UK, you become a band, you go to America when you're all jaded in a limo, then you're really grumpy and everyone in North America hates you, which is usual kind of, you know, the, the then 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 you go back home and you bitch about America, you know, because you're not as successful there as you are in the UK, yeah. whatever the kind of normal 
you know, uh, the way it's meant to work out. But we just we just kind of went there the same way and sleeping on people's floors and driving around and doing all sorts of mad stuff the same way as we were here. We just kind of behaved the same way there as here. Brilliant. And people seem to be, feel quite... But anyway, you know, cut a very long story short. We end up speaking to people that are interested in signing the band. So we're kind of like, oh, what's this all about, you know? Um, so we ended up getting a, a lawyer in New York, a guy called Richard Grable. He's a really cool guy. He was like Sonic Youth's lawyer and Don Fleming and stuff. And he represented us. So suddenly I'm in a council flat in Maid Hill in Glasgow in a multi-story flat. And uh, I'm on kind of still on the dole at this time. And I've got a New York lawyer, you know, and I'm talking to this guy in New York about all these, like Columbia and, you know, Geffen and Atlantic and, you know, all these people are wanting to sign the band. And we're talking about setting up a trip to New York to meet all these people, which we eventually did and met like 11 labels. And, you know, it was crazy. It was, you know, it was funny, you know. And is this, uh, a, this is a time where major labels are, are kind of snapping up guitar bands. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there was probably a period when guitar guitar bands seemed unfashionable in the eighties when everything went kind of uh, what I can't really remember. Yeah, uh, but people suddenly got interested in these guys in their early mid twenties. who looked like you know uh, they didn't really care, which mm. is us. And you know, you're not really aware. Young people aren't aware of the attractiveness of their own youth. And of their own fearlessness, whatever you know, uh, to more jaded people, older suddenly, you know, we we couldn't really see it. But anyway, because anyway, I end up with this guy with no money in a council flat, living with my mum and dad, talking to a New York lawyer, and someday we had this little rehearsal studio on the other side of Glasgow, and a lot of days I didn't, I didn't have the bus fare to go to to go to rehearsal, but you know, interacting with all this stuff, it was it was crazy. And I remember talking to this guy, the guy that eventually signed us to Geffen Records, was a guy called Gary Gersh. Uh, I'm not sure what he's doing now, but I remember he was our A&R guy. And, you know, I'm in a council flat. It's two different worlds. He's sitting in Geffen's office in Sunset Boulevard in, in Los Angeles, you know, and I'm in a council flat in Maryhill in Glasgow. And I'm talking to him, and he's talking about a fax. You know, this is maybe before we signed. We're still talking to him. I was chatting to him, and I said, and he's saying about sending a fax. I said, I don't have a, I don't actually have a fax machine, Gary. You know, and, and Gary was kind of funny. He was classic LA, and he said to me, you know, yeah, I won't do the accent. You know, he's like Raymond. You know, you know, you can just go out and buy one. You know, and I'm kind of like Gary. The reason I don't have a fax machine isn't because I'm stupid. It's because I don't have any money, you know. <laughs> I know you can buy one, <laughs> you know. It's like, but it's about 500 quid, you know. Uh, so anyway, cut to a few months later, we all had fax machines. You know? <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, that's that's the thing you read about that, you know, if, if a band puts out their, you know, early, on, early on in their career, you know, a, a record, you know, maybe they don't see any money from it for, for 10 months or a year? Well, we got, I mean, I have to say, they gave us a good big wedge of cash, <laughs> <laughs> which was useful, you know, because, really? you know, not that we, uh, not, we were still, we've, you know, 
I think one of the things we've always been good at as a band is we haven't ended up in the big financial hole too much. You know, where you end up, you get some money, you spend it all, then you realise you've got tax to pay, then suddenly you go bankrupt and the band's over. Mm. You know, we've managed to avoid that. Because yeah. uh, that's, so many bands end that way. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, and, uh, uh, we've managed to avoid that. But, you know, I'm not complaining. People gave us quite a lot of money in the 90s to make records. and uh, uh, But we were still doing exactly what we wanted. You know, certainly from creation and, you know, People just gave us money. We went and made records. It didn't make any difference other than the fact we had a bit more money to make a record, but nobody told us what to do. Or people might have tried to tell us what to do, but we didn't listen to anyone, you know. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, Raymond, I don't want to hold you too long, and it's been a, it's been a total pleasure to hear all these stories. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose, you know, it's, it's always, uh, you know... It, I think you need, you know, you need to be weird. This guy who was our tour manager and for well manager, Chaz Banks, uh, guy from Manchester, and he, you know, he had at the same time as having stories from the past. You have to be self aware enough to not be like, oh God, here comes this old tripper with his stories from the past, you know, because Chaz would be like, he would presage or whatever the word is. He's like. Listen, boys, I don't want to give you the desert rat routine, but you know, and then, you know, and he tells something about the, you know, so you don't want to be some boring old, you know, thing with, you know, stories about you know, what it was like, you know, Monty Python, you know, oh, that was nothing. Wait till you hear, you know, what, you know, what it was like back in my day. You know, we, as I say, we've, uh, we've, um, you know, music, you know, all these, uh, People tell. I suppose people telling each other stories about things is just part of what what people what people enjoy. But yeah, you need to be careful. You don't tell the same story ten times to the same person. <laughs> and you know, just just finally, you know, talking about that and doing your own thing in the nineties and kind of being in it, being in, I suppose, in a fortunate position. You know, it kind of seems to me that you've you've remained that way. You know, doing your own thing, and then what happens around it is 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 doing its own thing of course the music industry has changed so much you know it changes every year almost it seems yeah we i mean i think as a band we've just maintained tried to maintain a constant state of bemusement with everything around us <laughs> and not feel like we want we want to just maintain our separate bemused you know like overview of everything and everything changes around you and we just kind of look oh look at that you know uh, that's different or whatever but we just deal with it as it is around us and we try not to whinge about anything or moan about anything or complain about anything we just uh, we just get on with it you know I suppose when you try and control things that's that's going to be when things might get hard yeah well I mean I think we we just do we just try to have a simple thing we're always just thinking about the next record we do or what we're doing or how we do the details of the simple things that we do mm. um i think where you can disappear uh up your own arse or whatever is getting too much of a sense of who you are or the importance of who you are yeah or becoming a pastiche of who you were or you know getting too self-conscious about who you are or what you should do or what your strategy is or whatever all any of that kind of stuff we just like to uh we've always as a band as well from when we made the first record of catholic education in 1989 we're like we're just going to the studio and make a record 
then we'll get into the world after that, uh, as opposed to trying to create a conceptual sense of the band. Mm. We just wanted to be a band in reality mm. and deal with the world with something that we'd done that was real, as opposed to dealing with the world as a concept or whatever. Yeah. And I suppose that's just kind of what we've tried to do, just make the record first and then deal with whatever whatever the world is like when we when we go back out into the daylight afterwards. And naturally those records will will reflect the life, you know, the the real life elements. Well, I mean we've you know, I think all you got all you got to offer is, is of any values, a bit of yourself. And sometimes it's hard to show, you know. Um you know, you kind of have some song idea and you think, oh, I can't, I can't do with that. That's, you know, I can't, you know, I can't, I'll change that later, you know, to something more sensible. But then you realize, no, that's kind of whatever it is, that's, it's come from somewhere, you know. Yeah, somewhere pure. Uh, yeah, somewhere inside or somewhere unconscious where anything you've got that's good comes out of your unconscious somewhere. Um uh, and you have to just kind of show, stick your head above the parapet and show a bit of yourself um, for who you are and kind of who you are now. You know, and as a band, we've always been like, well, we want to make a record about, well, it's us being us now as we are now, you know, not as we were, you know, or, and, you know, we don't want to impersonate our previous selves or whatever. And, you know, we just want to kind of just continue to be, be in the, be in the present day you know and people are either gonna <laughs> react well to that or not but in the process of making a record we're just trying to please ourselves i think it's good for everyone to be reminded of that occasionally well you know well i suppose i don't know what about other people we we kind of we kind of like to remind ourselves to that <laughs> that's all brilliant brilliant well raymond thank you so much i was so so surprised that you know you're you're up for for chatting to me you know so thank you so much for being up oh it's been a pleasure thanks Charles. so there you have it raymond mcginley of teenage fan club here on 101 part-time jobs cheers for listening in and see you next week have a good one here's cox barrow i've been working all day for me mate on the side running around like a blue ass fly i've been working yeah i've been working all day for me mate This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.